Hey, this is Max from the Arkells, and you're listening to Underground Sports Philadelphia. What's going on, everybody? We are live. It is Underground Sports Philadelphia, episode number 209. Kyle Bennett, and Matt Castorino, live from Underground Studios. As always, show brought to you by our friends at Main Auto LLC, Ducharms Pro Foot, Security 21, Wainwright Bernhardt Funeral Home, Paul J. Gillespie Incorporated, Bob Novick Automall. Guys, we've been telling you for the past couple weeks, it is tax season. If you are in the South Jersey area, go get your taxes done. With the one and only Mark Ronchetti. He's the best in the game. He does our taxes. He'll take care of you. Tell him that uh, we sent you. It's Mark Ronchetti, CPA, LLC, and the Dental Wellness Center of Vineland. And of course, our friends at Design Tree making the thing happen with our merch. New Bryce Harper merch came out. Absolutely blew us away. Uh, they designed it for us. We just gave away two hoodies to kick that merch line off. Go get it. Baseball season's right around the corner. Use the promo code DSGN10 for $10 off at checkout. What's going on, Matt? I am <clears throat> living the dream. We uh, we got to witness a fantastic win by our 76ers last night, celebrating the podcast's anniversary in style. Uh, but since the last time we were live, trades went down because Elton Brand likes making trades, you know, at the wee hours of the morning. And... Uh, the Sixers acquired Alec Burks and a former process Sixer, Glenn Robinson III, for three second-round draft picks that were not those high-end picks that belong uh, you know, to the Knicks and, I believe, the Cavaliers. Um, you know, For Elton to be able to pull off a trade like that, get two players for just you know some low-end draft picks, I was, I was pretty impressed. And then, of course, uh, Jonah Bolden and Trey Burke were both waived, and the Sixers also traded... James Ennis to Orlando, who had to waive his no-trade clause in order for that to go through, for what is potentially going to be the second or the very last pick in the second round, because it is the Lakers' second-round pick. Yeah, um, yeah, those second-round picks we gave up weren't any of, like you said, any in the low 30s, which is good, because those still hold some value for us and for any potential future trades, and I mean, you get two guys that are going to help you for the rest of the season, and hopefully in the playoffs, and that's the point of stashing kind of second round picks like this is you're able to uh, you know kind of pry away some guys that can help your situation for for pretty cheap and I'm looking forward to seeing how we ruin both of these players <laughs> and how uh, they stop being 40% three-point shooters and shoot 26% and we see them two minutes a night <laughs> um, in all seriousness I we actually talked about Alec Burks a little bit we did. Um, and about his potential impact and my only concern was that um, we had another Burke player here, <laughs> uh, singular, that got little to no playing time, uh, despite being a guaranteed contract, which makes it even weirder that he's just straight up waived. Um, I just don't know that Alec Burks is 
really I like it's just weird that we had a he's, they're obviously not exactly like players but um it's weird that we already kind of had the type of player that we were looking for on the roster and we just didn't play him I don't know if it was a, a locker room issue or what I know he had voiced some concern a few months ago about his playing his time dad voice concern yeah and whatever I don't know um and then Glenn Robinson the third is uh again kind of an interesting piece someone that I think a lot of people expect the Warriors to keep um because they've they're sort of in their own process right now where they're just trying to get these cheap deals and guys that they can sort of lock up for the future as they sort of rebuild on the fly a little bit and you know they're obviously in some uh some luxury tax and cap room struggles right now seen by some of the other trades they made um so yeah, it's they're interesting pieces, and I think they certainly improve the Sixers. To what extent we won't know until we actually see them. And we joked about this last night about um, you know they're just supposedly going to be getting their physicals today, um, and are questionable for the game tomorrow. And I mean, this is a trade that was you know officially done you know yesterday, but was has, you know it just seems like the Sixers never get their uh, their trade guys or any of their. Um, Robert Covington took a flight and a red eye and was a pivotal part in the Rockets uh, winning his first game in a Rockets uniform. And, and, you know, we might not see these guys till like, early next week. And it's just the Clippers uh, game, probably. Yeah, and that's just, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what that says about the Sixers and their, uh, their mentality um, and how they do things uh, much slower than everyone else. But, you know, they're, it's a good move for the Sixers. It's kind of a, an on-the-margins deal, and... I, I think it's it can't be anything more than a you know an okay move. Uh, I, I should say it can't be anything less than an okay mm-hmm. move. You know, there's really you didn't give up much, and you're getting two two very good potential players. I sh- they're not very good; they're good bench pieces for what which, they do. For what they do, you know, in context, um, James Ennis frankly sucked uh, for most of the season, if not all of it. Jonah Bolden was a non-factor. Um, and Trey Burke we saw like seven minutes of in the last eight months. So, you know, salute to them. Um, James Ennis was probably the most eyebrow-raising of, of the three to leave. I I had earmarked Jonah Bolden as someone probably being gone. I didn't think Trey Burke would be gone because of the guaranteed contract situation. I thought Kylo Quinn was uh, definitely, you know, kind of uh, on on the verge here with the firing line. We weren't even sure if we were going to see Norvell Pell because obviously there was the uh, the whole thing about his his contract not being guaranteed anymore. And um, so, yeah, it's it's kind of strange that you had someone that has uh, a guaranteed contract and a no trade clause gone, and someone that also had a guaranteed contract, you know, cut by the team. Um, but yeah, I, I guess that's the Sixer way for now. Uh, James Ennis in his farewell posts on social media uh, says, I would like to thank uh, the Sixers organization, teammates, fans, and media for embracing me for the past year. I really wanted to run it back, but unfortunately circumstances came up and it was best for me to move on. I will miss the Sixers and the city of brotherly love. God is good. Hashtag God's plan. Hashtag SVG. Hashtag Ennis the Menace. That's the weird part that stands out to me. It's like I wanted to run it back, but circumstances came up, and I was I had getting to dip. two minutes a night, <laughs> a week maybe. Um, yeah, I think I think it might have come down to play time for him. Um, you know, he still has a longer kind of NBA uh, career, at least in his view. And right now, the Sixers situation is not one for him that's working out well. 
and he's looking for that next contract. Um, so I can't necessarily blame him for deciding that this wasn't the place that he was going to be continuing. Um, and I'd even imagine that the Sixers hadn't given him any kind of guarantee that when this contract is up that he'll be getting re-signed, you know? Like, so, yeah, I think uh, just the lack of play time um, probably played a, a big role in his decision to, to waive that no-trade clause. It sucks. I mean, James Ennis was a great pickup for us last year, and I think, you know, he had a, he had a pretty strong playoffs, and we were really hoping that we we're going to see that again this year, but just frankly, he was not very good uh, this season. After like the first month, he disappeared. Yeah, and I mean, you know, especially in a time where we really needed and needed our bench guys to step up. We came into the season saying, you know, this is one of the better benches that we've had, um, but that was a low bar that we had set for ourselves. And if these guys can kind of continue on the way they are, you know, we'll, we'll be in good shape. And, you know, him and, and Mike Scott haven't really played to the level that we had expected. Um, I think everyone was breathe a sigh of relief that Mike Scott was still uh, a sixer after the, the deadline because he was certainly another name that I don't think you would have been heavily. You would not have been too surprised to, to have seen him, you know, be on his way. But, you know, this is the Sixers team now. They didn't make any other big moves, and I don't think that we really should have expected them to. I think this is about what we all thought should and would happen, is that, you know, you move some of these second-round picks, you have a plethora of them, and get some extra bench help. Um, some of the departures are a little surprising, but ultimately, you know, like we said, James Ennis has barely played, and when he has, he hasn't been very good. Trey Burke has been a ghost, and Jonah Bolden. Um, we don't, playing in the G League. Thank, frankly, we don't. We didn't even want to see Jonah Bolden play um, because he just was not very good. Just being honest, and um, you know, he had like ten games last year where we thought this is his turnaround, and just have not seen any improvement since. So wish them all well, um, and I'm sure each of them will have another opportunity. Of course, you know, somewhere in the league, but. You know, just was not working here at the Sixers. And that's probably not even all their fault. <laughs> yeah. Um, like we said, we got to take in last night's game, finally breaking the four-game losing streak. Granted, uh, last night's game was at home, and the four losses were on the road. But Sixers win 119-107 against the Memphis Grizzlies, who were 13-3 and in their last 16 games coming into last night. Um, Joel Embiid left at halftime due to neck stiffness. But still put up a double double uh, with ten and ten. But uh, last night was uh, the Furkan Korkmaz party. We popped the cork uh, multiple times. Thirty-four points in twenty-nine minutes, along with six rebounds and four assists. Um, he was just lethal last night and could not be stopped. And it was a sight to behold watching Furkan do his thing last night. It was uh, very entertaining. Um, this was, you know, it's weird. It was almost like the complete antithesis of the Sixers on the road where tight at a halftime you know kind of you know Sixers with like a five six point lead and then absolute blowout in the second half um that's how a lot of the road games have been going for us lately and it, it was uh the opposite at home and yeah I mean to do what we did in the second half without him beat as well I think is uh, a credit I mean this Grizzlies team has been very good as of late this you know I think coming into this this season, everyone kind of expected them to be a little bit of a lottery team, you know, especially in like the higher end of the lottery. But they're a fringe playoff team in a very difficult West, a very difficult division. So you have to give them credit for for how they've played this season. And um, you know, I think Sixers did very well to shut down uh, a lot of their their bright sparks. John Morant being probably the the biggest spearhead of that all. And 
Um, I thought it was an impressive win by the Sixers. It's a good bounce back win, especially on a back to back too. By the way, you know they were away to Milwaukee in a game that frankly sucked in on like almost every level. Uh, come back and you know quick turnaround against a, a pretty good young team, and you know that's a good win. But it also speaks, I think, more to even the frustration about the Sixers this season and how Jekyll and Hyde they look on the road and at home. We, you know, I was talking last night, I said Sixers might end up, I have to still do more research on it, but Sixers might end up with the biggest win differential yeah. between home and road performances by a playoff team. Um, even if you go back to like probably even some of the worst teams, if you go by like win percentage difference, it's probably going to be uh, massive. Right now, you know, you're, you're talking about a, a 13 um, or a 14 swing between those two. Like that's... Not natural. <laughs> Twenty-three and two at home. Yeah. Nine and nineteen on the road. Like that is like even if you are, I I've and we've said this before. Even if you're just like right below five hundred on the road, like this team is in such a drastically different spot. Um, and I was optimistic about that road trip that we just took. I thought you know maybe they'll surprise us. We might you know pick up one or two wins and like no frankly and it wasn't even competitive that was the worst road stretch we've we've been on uh, even going back to the Hawks game you know before you even got into the the gauntlet of, of those three you know really tough games so um, I don't know what it is about the road with this team I I don't know what the malfunction is I don't know if, if preparation mental whatever it is there there has to be some key to unlock this because it's it is not normal in any way to watch the team do what they did Thursday night against Milwaukee and then on a back-to-back come home and play a good Grizzlies team and do what they did to them. like that, that Without Embiid for a half. With, without Embiid for a half. That just shouldn't... And Josh Richardson, like, playing, you know, Coming just, just making a little bit of a comeback. like And, you know, you miss some of your other, uh, like quote-unquote depth guys because you're in this trade limbo right now like it was theoretically you know this was a, a weaker team than we'd been p- putting out for you know the some of that road trip because we're, we're missing guys they're, they're frankly not available at all so I, uh, I I just it kind of puts you just at a loss for words as to what to even think about this team because just that they can be that wildly inconsistent on a on a home or road basis is uh, frightening, and you know there was the stat during the broadcast of the Bucks game that they were one and eleven, now one and twelve against winning teams on the road. That's not good, um, and there's really no argument you can make to say, well, you know they've been competitive in some. Yes, but you you have to win. <laughs> you just yeah. you just have to, and that one road win against a winning team was quite a while ago now against Boston. Like mm-hmm. that, you're you're looking down the barrel of you know a month and a half since that game, two months. Like it's not like that was recent history, and recent history has shown that they're frankly not even competitive on the road. That is really worrying. Because we know this team, frankly, is not going to be a two seed. It's, it's really unlikely at this point. Um, they're probably at best going to be like a four seed right now, maybe probably a five or a six, uh, which means you're not going to get any road in, uh, home advantage uh, during the, the playoffs. At least we don't expect to, just because one through six in the East are very solid and very good teams. You don't foresee, you know, Orlando or Brooklyn pulling off any kind of upset here uh, against any of those teams. So I. Um, this team is just so uh, they're so hot and cold and I've I've never seen anything like it besides even just the record difference it is complete difference in how this team performs at home versus on the road it's shocking and it's like how they 
like present themselves like their demeanor on the road is completely different to what it is at home and even the execution just the the sloppiness it's like they're i think part of it now is is definitely mental because you watch them just make these really errant passes and the Sixers are prone to that just because of kind of the way they play with the transition and Ben you know he has at least one or two turnovers a game where it's like yeah he's just going full speed into four guys he's going to turn it over Um, but I mean just like sloppy passes like miscommunication a lot and it it just it, it baffles you it really it's so so confusing and concerning that this team cannot look even even a sliver of a shadow of themselves when they're at home, I it's it really really boggles the mind. Every other team that is in the uh, top six in the Eastern Conference has at least double digit wins on the road. Sixers only one with nine, and it's just um, <laughs> I don't even know when the last road win was. It was the it's Knicks, wasn't it, or, or the Nets? Uh, the, the following day, it was, I think, that Knicks-Nets, and then we went to Toronto. I think it was that Nets game was the last one that we won um, on the road, which feels like forever ago at this point, even though it wasn't that long. But Yeah. You know, like January 20th. You know, you're three weeks away from that. And I just... Um, I, <laughs> it leaves you speechless. And it, I don't know when it turns around. I thought, you know... For a little while, I, I kind of convinced myself that oh, the team just gets all unlucky. You know, they've been competitive, and they have been in some of these road games. But it's at a point now where there's a legitimate issue with this team when they go on the road, and it needs to be sorted. Um, and I think there was a lot of doom and gloom about this team. You know, last night you heard boos. Uh, and frankly, intros. what's even weirder is that it's not like... I didn't think last night it was some unbelievable home court advantage. Like, it was a pretty subdued crowd. Yeah. Um, you know, especially considering it's like a, a Friday night against a pretty interesting team. Mike Scott Hive was out Mike, there. It was, it was a Hive night. Like, you know, there was plenty of reason to be like, you know, a little active last night. And uh, frankly, it was pretty dead. <laughs> and I mean, there was even negativity at the start of the game. There was, like you said, there was booze for um, everyone in the intro. Right. Actually, it wasn't even just the usual specs. Everyone got booed, even Embiid. Um, obviously some to a higher degree. Orford, I think, got probably the worst, and then followed by Brett, probably yeah. got the worst booze. But, you know, it wasn't like this crowd was, like, amazing, and it's, like, raucous, and it's, like, how can any team win here? It's, like, it's that's what makes it even more confusing. Mm-hmm. It's, like, I think Philadelphia does, in general, have a good home court, home field advantage, no matter the sport, and we've seen that. Yes. But I didn't think, like, last night was, like, I've been to great Sixers games on like we were game six of the crowd was absolutely unbelievable for that game and you could feel it and you could feel it energy. I went to a Magic game last year and it was like you could feel the energy in the arena. Like last night was not one of those nights where I was like, wow, you know, I you know this this is down to the Philly crowd. I was like, yeah, people were like, meh. And that speaks to just how these fans feel about this team right now. In my opinion, it's like you know the expectations because of the struggles on the road, because of the struggles on the road against those top teams, it is so bad. There's there's little to no expectations for the Sixers team right now. Yeah, I mean, I think people actually expect to be disappointed. You know, I think most people probably went in the last night thinking, yeah, we, we dropped our fifth straight here. Um, and, I mean, you wouldn't have even been totally shocked. Again, on a back-to-back against a good Grizzlies team, this team typically isn't good on back-to-backs. I was even surprised him be played, to be honest. Um, considering he's working himself back into, sh- I think that's probably why he was shut down in the second half. Is like 
just going to take absolutely no risks at all. If he has any kind of stiffness, tightness anywhere on his body, we're, we're shutting him down for the night um, and giving him, you know, that kind of extra little bit of, of rest. But, you know, it's just um, they, they are such an enigma and it's it's going to be incredibly fascinating to see how the rest of the season plays out and obviously the playoffs as well because so much now is riding on this team and you've you've locked yourself into this roster um you know trading Horford is a huge task we're not moving Tobias I I don't ever really see that happening to be frank and I think we're both fine with that because yeah I've I've sort of put Tobias's contract out of my mind you know like can't change it he got overpaid you know I've moved on Horford is much less forgivable to me because yes. it didn't make sense from the jump. Tobias, at least resigning him, made sense. You definitely had to, considering what you gave up to get him. Um, but And he's another guy that kind of, you know, falls into signing Horford, limits what he can do, because theoretically you want Tobias playing the four rather than the three, and it messes with what he's able to do, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, everyone has some some drawback to playing with this current roster construction and that's that's interesting but so much is riding on the rest of this season um you know i think whether it's fair or not brett's job is probably going to be determined by the the playoff run especially um i wouldn't even be surprised to see ellen brand get himself in some hot water if if especially if the playoff run is really not good um, I don't know that he'd be removed this year, but it would certainly be one of the bullet points on next year's firing of El- Elton Brand if these playoffs don't go well. Um, but I absolutely think if this team doesn't at least make the conference finals, I don't want this to happen, but I, I think if this is not a conference finals uh, appearance-making team, Brett Brown is, is probably gone next year. Um, whether that's fair or not, I don't know. But you know, this, this team is barreling towards change. Um, and I think a lot of fans wanted that change since like December, you know, there's been the Brett Brown conversation. People wanted Horford traded back in December. Um, and I, I think you'll see at least one of those things happen if the Sixers, um, don't really live up to some kind of standard in the playoffs. The standard for this team is winning a championship too. It's not like, you know, even losing the conference mm-hmm. finals, I'd be like, well, that's not what this team was built for. That's right. not what we tanked for. We tanked to be a championship-winning team. We didn't tank to be like, oh, you know, we're going to be in the playoffs exactly. for the next seven years. We're going to be kind of sniffing around all the time. No, we tanked with the objective of being a championship-winning team. And I certainly think we can win a championship. I don't think that we could be in any conversation when you start talking about favorites to win a championship, though. Um, so... I don't know. I'm very curious to see the rest of the season for the Sixers and, and how the East eventually shakes out. Can't lose sight of the fact that the Sixers have a very positive schedule for them. Um, I know that sounds weird considering the, the last week and a half we just had <laughs> uh, team-wise, but for the most part, the schedule lightens up uh, for the rest of the season. Obviously, some difficult teams still to face, but for the most part, it's one of the easier schedules in the NBA, which could be favorable to them. We're getting Josh Richardson back now. We'll see what happens with Embiid and his next stiffness, if that's an actual injury or just precaution. But we're going to see an actual, again, starting lineup of te- of players that we expected to be starting together, which is nice. Uh, Shooters thought, off the bench now. Shoot, Furkan is starting to get some rhythm. We're going to see what happens with Burks and, and Glenn Robinson the third now. Um, and well, I guess we'll, we'll move from there. And 
you know, ultimately, I think you just kind of have to be as positive as you can about this team. And I guess the one positive thing is we haven't seen a lot of rhythm from them. We haven't seen the starting five play together all that much. You know, it's constantly we get one or two games and then for the next eight or nine, one of them is out of the lineup. And that's frustrating, you know, and um, so I'm looking forward to seeing hopefully a little more consistency over this next, you know, and as I said, we're barreling towards the all-star break where we, we get a, a, a court mandated break from basketball and we won't see these, these guys play together. Um, I, let's talk about Al Horford from last night too, um, because he is the subject of, you know, everyone's hatred and demise on this team. Uh, he gets booed in intros, you know, quite loudly and last night in 31 minutes puts up 10 points eight rebounds six assists to put it in perspective Joel Embiid had 10 points in 16 minutes uh and had more rebounds than Horford in those 16 minutes but when Horford made a three last night and made a couple shots in the fourth quarter just turned around and, and threw up the shush finger to the home crowd yeah I mean you have people <laughs> breaking this down like the Zabruder film and uh, whether or not he was actually shushing the crowd or shushing a player it's hard to tell it definitely seemed like it was towards the crowd um, and he even has been a little vocal about their stuff within the locker room but I'm going to keep it private but I'm going to say in the press that there's yeah. stuff in the locker room um, but the, also that wasn't a surprise either by the way I don't know why anyone's shocked yeah. to hear that there's issues in the locker room we've heard that pretty much this entire season even going back to last year there was like the rumors about Jimmy not being happy with his role and all that mess mm-hmm. um, not that I think this is a toxic locker room but there's definitely a clashing of at least ideas and personalities I mean you know, we also get the news that Josh Richardson held a players-only meeting, mm-hmm. which is um, not shocking because he's been vocal about, like, there being issues, but being he's always come across as really proactive about trying to find a way to get everyone on the same page. And, get, like, Josh Richardson, I think, is one of my favorite Sixers that yes. we've had because he just has such a, a great attitude. Um, he's the exact type of energy player that you want. Like, even last night, back from a hamstring, giving it all in every defensive play. He had a great block. Um you know, obviously, offensively, it took him some time to get a little into the game. It wasn't until you know the game was effectively over that he started, you know, really getting involved. But you know, he he has a really good attitude, I think, and is someone that I really enjoy having on this team. And you know, we kind of lose sight of the fact that Josh Richardson is also like strangely one of the most tenured players that we have, uh, at least in the starting lineup. Like he's he's been around the league for some time now. It's you know, he's obviously on the younger side, but. It's a guy that has seen quite a bit of basketball in his life already and has played quite a bit of NBA. Second round pick in 2015. Yeah, like, you know, he's... he's, Fifth season in the league. You're starting to get towards the the, the point where, like, okay, this guy's been around a little bit. Like, he he certainly, uh, he's not 21, you know, and it's like, oh, this is crazy to see him taking the lead like this. Like, no, he's... He's definitely grown into his role here. And, um, yeah, you know, I'm I'm really happy to see kind of his... uh, It's almost weird because how you'd expect Horford to be is how Richardson has yes. been and how you might have expected, although Richardson I always had a good kind of Vibe image about. of, um, you know, he, but that's how Horford has been. Where it's like yeah. Horford has come across as more prickly and a little more defensive, whereas Josh Richardson is, ta- you know, definitely a little more wise of, uh, beyond his uh, years here in, in his kind of approach of, you know, trying to just get everyone on the same page. He wants to win badly. He's giving effort, and I, th- I thought Horford, 
Frankly, I didn't think I, Horford had a terrible night last night. He had some, you know, dumb plays, but frankly, I, I don't think you could point to a single sixer that doesn't have at least one dumb play a game. Um, even Richardson had a, a pretty bad uh, giveaway, like, late in the game. Had that technical, or that flagrant foul. Yeah, but, you know, that that was at least, you know, he was stopping yeah. the play, whatever. You know, you make your peace with that, but... You know, Horford had times where, you know, he deflected the ball when he didn't, didn't have to. Didn't dive for a ball when yeah, it was you know, right in front of him. Yeah, and I, I just... It's reaching a point now where... I'm not going to say the situation's, like, untenable, but it's, like, it's getting close to that. It's getting close to where I do worry about the fan reaction to him and how he handles that and what that does for the team going forward. Because you can't underestimate what, you know either the booze and all that not every player reacts like ben simmons where he's like yeah i gotta be better you know like that's that's what this team is is about that's what this city is about um and i i just have to be better like not everyone is gonna have that same attitude and you know like it or not al horford is signed to a long-term contract here and you know booing him does not make elton brand trade him tomorrow i mean technically he can't obviously but i just um it, it's it's a weird situation. I didn't like signing Horford when we signed him, and he hasn't really shown anything this season to say like, wow, you know, he's really blown me away. He's really impressed me. He hasn't really had a great game as a Sixer. He's had like good nights. Um, what's weird about Horford though is that I do think some of the reaction to him is really over the top. I don't think Horford has been great, but I also don't think he's been as terrible as people have made him out to be. And I think it's more just a reaction of his attitude that I don't think a lot of Sixers fans liked him to begin with because he was a Celtic and he had this kind of reputation of shutting Embiid down. We didn't like playing against him, and now he's on our team, and now he's not so great. Um, but he's never been great. He, he, in fact, again, he's just a little below his career average with this team. So I don't know. It, it's such a interesting question when you, the more you talk about Horford, and everyone's going to have their opinion on him. I'm not sweet on him I, I don't love him as a player I, I you know I, I don't he doesn't do anything that I'm like wow that's impressive that like only Al Horford could do that and I think he probably even makes more game problems than he you know solves because of just how the hell is this offense supposed to work but at the end of the day we're stuck with him you know like it did, and it's not like the fans are the ones that have made the decisions on who gets signed and who gets traded you know we were sort of at the mercy of whatever Elton Brand wants and you know i i think it, it's always a, di- a difficult situation especially when you talk about Horford and Tobias it's like they didn't sign the con- like they signed the contract yeah. but they didn't, they didn't offer that contract to themselves like they, they Elton Brand did that Elton Brand yep. overpaid Tobias Elton Brand overpaid and oversigned Al Horford like Elton Brand panicked because he couldn't get Jimmy Butler to buy into Philadelphia and had to go make a big splash elsewhere. Like, and, and JJ was leaving. You know, like, I, I, you can't. It's just hard for me to blame Horford and Tobias for the mistakes that have not just from last summer that have been habitually happening yep. since Hinky left this team, and not even left was forced out of this team. Yep. So, I don't know. I think it's it's no one's ever gonna. It's it's a tough issue because you're not really going to convince anyone on either side to like, you know, the, the only thing that's going to happen as time goes on is probably people will start to hate 
more people start to hate Horford and, and dislike him and want him out. Um, no one in you know the the anti Horford camp is switching sides. You know, the, the nothing is nothing they're going to see is is going to convince them. I don't necessarily blame them either. It's eerily similar to Jake Arrieta because everybody, including us, wanted Jake Arrieta here because Phillies needed pitching, and he got here, and he was absolutely dreadful, and he still is. And like you said last night, he is like Sandman from Spider-Man, and it's just going to crumble by uh, by Memorial Day. And that's what Al Horford is. You know, he's that clunky piece in this offense for the Sixers that makes everyone around him less able to do what they're good at. And that is on Elton Brand because he's the one that offered the contract to him. And how is Al Horford going to turn down that money when it was not offered to him elsewhere? Yeah, I mean, what do you... I... We'll see what happens in the playoffs this year. I think it would be absolutely hilarious if Horford hits like a game-winning shot in like the Against finals. <laughs> like, um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm still, I still have optimism about this team, but uh, I, I, my concerns have only grown as the season has gone on. I haven't, I haven't felt that ease. Last year, I felt a lot more at ease mm-hmm. as the season went on. Like, okay, like wow, like seems actually really good like as the season has gone on here I'm like mm, that hasn't gone away at all has it and I think some of the issues have only kind of uh you know recently popped up like this road stuff again I you know like a month and a half ago I was like you know what I think this team's gotten a little unlucky on the road they've had really tough road games whatever like I don't know if it's that big of a deal sitting here in February and you're looking at it and just looking at the difference in play and you're like okay this is a huge deal and a huge problem and I, uh, I think this could be the, the killer for the Sixers. Schedule coming up. Bulls at home on Sunday. And uh, Clippers come to town. Shout out to Kurt. Uh, on Tuesday. Before the All-Star break. And then you come back. Home against the Nets on the 20th. Which is a Thursday night. And then you go to Milwaukee. Saturday night primetime. Fantastic. I mean, it would be very Sixers though to to dispatch the Bulls, Clippers, and Nets, and go and just get busted by the Bucks. Yep. That's been like the the mo the, the formula for this team has been beat everyone at home. Um, could not even beat like the uh, who are the team that always get beat by the Globetrotters, the Generals. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah just <laughs> couldn't even beat them. <laughs> A team that only exists to be beat by another team. And then after that Bucks game, you're home against the Hawks. You go to Cleveland, take on Andre Drummond, who's not happy that he's in Cleveland. Uh, and then the Knicks come to Philly to wrap up uh, the month of February before you go on the road for a nice little California road trip in the month of March where you take on the Clippers, the Lakers, the Kings, and the Warriors, which will probably result in four losses knowing how this team goes. Yeah, um... I just, uh, it's so hard to have faith in this team to do anything on the road. (laughs) It really is. I I have no faith in them to go on the road and and beat bad teams. I really don't. Even that Warriors game, I'm like, ah, we could lose that. (laughs) We could could absolutely lose the Warriors. Um, Yeah, it'll be a nice uh, homecoming, though, for for Burks and uh, GR3. Um, I just, I... I, I think we could lose every road game for the rest of the season. I don't think yep. I'd be shocked. You maybe win one or two uh, of the really easy ones, but I don't. I don't expect this team to beat anyone on the road. Yeah, looking at the rest of the road schedule for the rest of the season, uh, I probably agree with that. You know, you look 
The rest of the road schedule after that Warriors game on March 7th, you go to Charlotte, you play the Hornets, uh, you go to Minnesota, take on the revamped Timberwolves team now that looked like they just had a New Jersey reveal, introducing all of their new players. You go to Chicago, um, you go to San Antonio, New Orleans, Memphis, and that's the rest of your road schedule. And honestly, I would not be shocked if they lose all of those games because they're all losable the way this team's been playing. I mean, this this team could win like 12, 13 road games at, by the end of the season and could have won 33, 34 home games. <laughs> um, that, you know, you talk about a 20 game swing. Like, that's just insane. Like, but and both of those totals are very doable. It's very yep. doable that the Sixers only win four or five more games on the road, and it's very doable that the Sixers win another ten, eleven games at home. You know, out of the remaining schedule here, like, and it's it just, uh, I, 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 again, I, I keep talking about it. But I just, I, it's so alarming, and and just leaves me speechless that this team just cannot win on the road. It's, it's amazing. It's absolutely insane. Um. But yeah, Sixers got a big win last night. The pieces should be coming in Glenn Robinson III and Alec Burks. And uh, we'll see what happens because it's going to be a wild ride until this season's over. And uh, we're crazy enough to uh, buckle up and and ride that ride. Uh, Matt, we are three days away from pitchers and catchers reporting in Clearwater. And truthfully, I could not be more excited. Because it, it's kind of like that, that palate cleanser now that, you know, the Sixers team has kind of gone really toxic when it comes to just the fan base and, and watching them and everything. Obviously, Eagle season's over. Um, the Flyers, they're up and down. And the Phillies start anew. You know, they're healthy, new manager, new coaching staff, uh, a new number two pitcher behind Aaron Nola. That's about it, though. Um, but, I mean, I, I think this Phillies team on paper right now looks very exciting. I'm excited to watch, you know, what goes down in Florida and, and this season to get underway and, and hopefully have a successful season. And I think it's good that the expectations of the Phillies are the total opposite of last season where they were on the Sports Illustrated cover. They're favorites to win the division all because they signed Bryce Harper. Um now it's like people are like, oh yeah, they're going to be the the second worst team in the in the NL East. Uh, they didn't do much to improve. Granted, I agree, but I think this team is being pretty underrated for for what they have on this roster overall. And if they have to, I think this team can just straight up out hit teams like they did in 2008 and 2009. And we'll see what happens. You know, once July gets here with with trading for pitching, but. I think this lineup is one of the best lineups in baseball, top to bottom, you know, one through nine. I have five words. Ready to get hurt again. Uh, Let's do it. And, you know, I think there's something to be said for, you know, obviously player-wise, it's not going to be drastically different. You're going to pretty much see the same faces this season. You know, a few additions and some guys hopefully that stay healthy this year um, and are able to see, you know, the second half of the season. But, you know, you did, you did get a new manager in Joe Girardi and some of the uh, sort of other, you know, coaches and managers at, at the lower level of the team have also been changing. Like, there has been some – there's going to be new voices this year, and I, I do think you can't really understate what a difference that could be for a team. Um, 
and yeah, I mean, there's there's plenty to be positive about with the Phillies. Like, I, I don't think I'm like I'm not super negative on them. I'm not mm-hmm. going into the season like ah like nothing Done. doing it for me. Like I, I I'm excited to watch this team again. My just great concern is that we're kind of just doing the same thing we did last year. Where it's like you have kind of one big signing, one good signing. Um, we don't even have that other like good signing like we have with Gene Segura last year, and that's it. And and you're not addressing the pitching again. And it just seems crazy to to, to go into the year with uh, the arms that we do because we know they don't work. Last year was the experiment year, and it was fine to kind of you know see where everyone is at and, and you know gauge gauge everyone's success level and what they can and can't do. Frankly, I don't have any faith in anyone not named Aaron Nola. Even Zach Wheeler, like I, you know, we, I, I'd like to see a solid mm-hmm. six months of Zach Wheeler before I decide. Okay, this is great. Like, you know, I, I am think, super excited to see what he can do. Like, I think he's going to be a good of, pitcher. Yeah, absolutely. But you know, like, especially under this new pitching coach and Brian Price, and with Joe Girardi, who is very good with pitchers, being a former catcher. Uh, I'm I'm pretty like locked in on that top two. I think I think he's going to be good, but you know, Aaron Nola is the only one I have absolute faith in. Right, you and, know? and everybody talks about Zach Wheeler being, you know, Garrett Cole light from when he went to the Pirates to the Astros. Boom, something unlocked for him, and he took that next step. That's what a lot of people think Zach Wheeler could do. You know, coming coming from the Mets and and now coming to the Phillies, he could take that next step and open up and be a completely new pitcher. Yeah, and I, I think. You know, even if you look outside of the Phillies, some of the stuff about our divisional rivals have been a little overstated. Um, you know, I, I think some of them have made. There's been good moves and also bad moves, yes. specifically bad losses in yes. terms of who's de- departed those teams. Um, I think they've done better than we have to fill out some of their edges and their weaknesses, but we haven't lost anyone like some of these teams have. I mean, you're talking about if we, we lost, lost someone on weight. if we if we lost someone on Anthony Rendon's caliber like there would be fires at Citizens Bank right now like you know even even losing someone like Josh Donaldson mm-hmm. is is not a that's not a loss it's like okay you just kind of move on like that's pretty significant you know like that's that's was a, a big part of that Braves lineup last year you know year. and the Braves will still be good the Nationals will still be good but I do feel like and frankly I, I don't ever believe in the Mets like I, yeah. I've heard it so much in my life they just hired a new manager after hiring a new manager yeah like th- that is the the state of that entire team like they're and the, even you know the the guy that was trying to buy them now is isn't in and he's out and, you know like just I can never I've heard it for the last 15 years about the Mets and that they're going to be good, and they, they had never one are. year, and, and they, then they lost to the Royals. And they just never are. They're just never good. Um, and I just think you know, like you can, I could be sold on the belief that you know both Atlanta and Washington could take some steps back this year. I still think they'll be good teams, but you know, like everyone's acting like these teams have are, are going to be like the the next iteration of like you know, like the the Yankees and, and like the Red Sox a few years ago. Like, I, I don't really see that with these teams. I think they'll be good, but they're not like so far away from the Phillies. Like, I, I you know, let's not forget, up until June last year, we were leading the division. Like, and it was just... By a, a significant amount. Like, we just had an absolute collapse. <laughs> like, now... Like people forget the Nationals were 10 games out of first place in May last year. Yeah. And they just caught fire. It hurts to remember that the yes. <laughs> Nationals were 10 games out. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's... I, I just don't... I don't really believe... Um, I'm not buying their hype, and I'm not buying ours either just yet, 
but I, I do think that the Phillies can be better off than people expect. I think, in fact, people could be really surprised by the Phillies this year. Just here's my here, opinion. Here's the Braves' depth chart right now and, and what you'd be kind of facing lineup-wise. At catcher, they've got Travis Darno, who is perennially injured. Um, you know, he had a resurgence with the Rays last year, but he's always finding himself on the injured list. Freddie Freeman, obviously, future Hall of Famer. He's terrifying. Hate him. He Absolutely. Stupid huge teeth. <laughs> Ozzy Albies, he's up and down. He's really good defensively. Um, his bat, you know, it's there. When it, when he's on, he's on. And when he's in a slump, he's in a slump. Dansby Swanson, I, I would want to see more from him if I'm a Braves fan. And then at third base right now, they're putting Johan Camargo, who was kind of their utility infielder last year when Josh Donaldson was playing third base. Granted, they signed Marcelo Zuna. He is terrible defensively, which I think is a big plus for any team playing against the Braves. Uh, he does have a bat, but will it play? You know, going to a new uh, a new team and, and having a new home stadium again, that'll be interesting to watch. Ender Inciarte, very good defensively, kind of just a slap hitter. Uh, and then, of course, Ronald Acuna Jr. is one of the best stars in the game. Their pitching rotation doesn't really They're, they're all me. young, too, aren't it's they? It's Mike Soroka, who was you know a, a Cy Young candidate last year. Mike Fultonevich, who was out for most of the year last year. Uh, Max Freed, they signed Cole Hamels. And then it's just a bunch of guys. Like they, They're potentially going to put Felix Hernandez into their number five spot. And we know King Felix has not been King Felix the last, like, four seasons so the Braves pitching doesn't scare me the bullpen you know they, they have some quality guys in there Mark Melanson Will Smith Shane Green but overall I'm not terrified I think the Phillies hitting outplays the the Braves pitching absolutely Nationals Kurt Suzuki Jan Gomes at catcher Kurt Suzuki is just a Phillies killer uh, they're playing Eric Thames and Ryan Zimmerman at first base Two guys that are up and down completely, both older. Uh, Howie Kendrick, older, playing second base. And they also have Starlin Castro, Trey Turner at shortstop. And then they currently have Esdrubal Cabrera, former Philly, uh, listed at third base, along with Carter Keboom, who's one of their young prospects. And then Starlin Castro, Howie Kendrick. Juan Soto, one of the best players in the game. Uh, Victor Robles, one of the young stars in center field. And then Adam Eaton, who I think is severely overrated. Uh, in right field and then of course they have the pitching rotation that's the the biggest part to this Nationals team is they are locked in pitching wise but I think taking Anthony Rendon out of this lineup is a, a huge loss and overall there's really only like two or three guys I'm terrified hitting wise in this Nationals lineup and that's Juan Soto, Victor Robles, and Trey Turner. And if you compare that to the Phillies I think at worst one through four in the Phillies is scary a problem you know even even five through six though you know they, once you even get to like seven like damn like phillies phillies, phillies are, are deep, deep in, in that regard and um yeah i think you know when, once you start really laying it out like that you're like yeah you know what they're like there really isn't a, a huge golf in class here like it it some people are having us believe that you know like this is going to be not even a competitive division race. No, this is going to be a tough division, um, which may not work for the Phillies because they typically don't play well <laughs> uh, within the division, specifically against someone like the Marlins. But, you know, it's not like this team is, is far off the mark here, especially division-wise. And all you have to do is win your division. You know, like, it's it's not that complicated. And here's the Mets' depth chart because everybody thinks the Mets are leaps and bounds better than the Phillies. 
at catcher, you've got Wilson Ramos, who has broken knees and can only catch every you know every other day. Uh, Pete Alonso, rookie of the year, he's a stud. Robinson Cano, who is just getting older and older. Uh, Ahmed Rosario, who you know he's good defensively, and then he has his streaks where he gets hot, and then that stupid rat-faced Jeff McNeil playing third base. Uh, then they have J.D. Davis in left field, Brandon Nimmo in center field, and Michael Conforto in right field. No one, there's no names that stand P- out. Besides Pete, Pete Alonso, no one scares me on that team. Absolutely no one. No. And, like, Jeff McNeil, sure, he had his moments against the Phillies last year. He's You can neutralize him. Pete Alonso is really the only, you know, game-breaker in that lineup, hitting-wise. And then, of course, they've got DeGrom, Syndergaard, Stroman, and they signed Michael Waka, but their number five is Rick Porcello, who was absolutely dreadful for the Red Sox last year. It's a crime that he won a Cy Young before. And then Steven Matz is also in there as well. Their bullpen doesn't scare me. Edwin Diaz was horrendous for them last year. Uh, they signed Dellen Betances, who's coming off an injury. Uh, Jerry's Familia is in there. Who knows what he's going to be. The Mets do not scare me whatsoever. And, and they have that Mets DNA where they, they just, something will fall apart. Like they, their luck factor is at like a negative sixty. Like <laughs> if there's a, they gave a, all their luck to Bobby Bonilla. If there's any kind of uh, roll of the dice expected, it'll always go against the Mets. It just, it's, it's just been my life. It's, it's science. Uh, and here's your Phillies depth chart. Obviously, JT Real Muto at catcher, the best catcher in baseball. Reese Hoskins at first base. Gene Segura at second base. Didi Gregorius playing short. Scott Kingery at third. That's one hell of an infield. If I'm, you know, I'm just looking at it and watching Scott Kingery play third base last year. He's got the range. I think moving Gene from short to second is going to do wonders for him because his range is limited. And then the outfield, Andrew McCutcheon, Adam Hazley, Bryce Harper. That's really good. <laughs> like it's, and this is what I'm talking about. It's like I'm ready to get hurt again. Like, I'm ready. And then you look at the depth off the bench. You've got Jay Bruce. Uh, you've got Josh Harrison potentially making it as a non-roster invitee. You've got Phil Goslin, our guy. Uh, sadly, Andrew Knapp. Um, you know, Jay Bruce can play outfield or first base. You've got Roman Quinn. Nick Williams is still in the mix, and. You know, the bullpen, I think, is the biggest question for me. Because, for some reason, I, I'm having faith in, in Zach Eflin with a new pitching coach. I think having a new pitching coach is going to do a lot of good for him. Uh, because we saw when he stopped listening to Chris Young last year, he was really good. And when he was listening to the advice he was giving him, he stunk. Um, but the bullpen, I think the the front office's reliance on Sir Anthony Dominguez being healthy is the biggest concern I have for this Phillies bullpen. He's one pitch away from needing Tommy John surgery and being out even longer than what he was last year. Yeah, I mean, that is that's a concern I think with the Phillies team in general is is just health. Um because there are areas specifically pitching, um, both starters and bullpen where one or two guys get hurt again and that's the bi- that's one of the biggest reasons for our collapse post Memorial Day last year was um, you have all these injuries, then McCutcheon goes down, you know, like midsummer, and yeah, you're just kind of floating adrift in the ocean with no real help. Um, and that's why I think it is some negligence coming into the season, not re- having really addressed any of that. You know, and I, and I understand that, you know, it's a little more complex than I'm making it, but, you know, 
you you know that you're you're going to be missing guys at some point throughout the season. It just depends on how long. And you know, even coming into the year, you're already missing players. You're already missing, mm-hmm. especially your know, relief pitchers. Like you need really needed to address that, and they haven't. And it's even made more frustrating when you get into like the luxury tax conversation. And it's like, well, they didn't want to spend the money. It's like, well, they should because uh, it'll that, reset next year. You know, and I just um, I, I do think that that's. That's a concern for me is just everyone staying healthy. And obviously the Mookie Betts trade still in limbo, but we know the pieces that are involved, and it's put everybody on Chris Bryant watch because now everyone thinks that, you know, with what was traded for Mookie Betts, who is arguably the best player in the game not named Mike Trout, uh, you can trade a little bit less to get Chris Bryant. And reading off that, that lineup, putting Chris Bryant into that lineup, that is just flat-out decimation from one through nine. We would have the most all-Chad team <laughs> that you could <laughs> the put Vegas together. The Vegas Chads. Seriously. Um, but, I mean, that gives you depth. Scott Kingery goes to being kind of, you know, plug-and-play. You can play him in center field, where he was really good last year. Or you can play him at any infield position. Chris Bryant can play a little left field to spell Andrew McCutcheon here and there. Chris Bryant on this team would be really good. It's just that fact that we'd have to probably end up giving up on Alec Boehm. Yeah, um, which hurt me in my brand, but my opinion has not changed on mm-hmm. this and that. If we're moving, you know, top five assets, I'd like it for it to be a pitcher. Just being frank, because um, Chris Bryant would obviously make this team better. Not blind to that, uh, but you'd also have to pay Chris Bryant. Mm-hmm. And Alec Bohm is someone that, because the MLB sucks like this, you would not have to pay for quite some time. <laughs> um, and a team that clearly has an issue with paying, especially luxury tax money, and has already, you know, frankly doled out some pretty big contracts, um, Alec Bohm would be the better asset, not necessarily player, but the better asset going forward. Especially with the ramifications of the DH potentially coming in as soon as 2021. Put Reese Hoskins at the DH, and then you could, you know, have Kingery at third and put Alec Bohm at first, and and your lineup becomes even more switchable and versatile. Um, but I agree. I think this team needs to find some way to trade for a pitcher. Where that will be, who knows? Probably won't come until the trade deadline gets closer. Um, all we can hope for is that Zach Eflin and Arietta are, you know. 25% better than what they were last year. My, f- our, our fate is in their hands yet again, and uh, that worries me. <laughs> uh, Matt, the football season came to an end, but it's not over because the XFL starts today. Uh, am I going to watch? Sure. I'll wa- I'm going to watch and see just kind of these new rules, the, the speed of it. There is gambling involved because uh, they partnered with the the king, if you will, hashtag not a sponsor, DraftKings. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how this kind of plays out and if it becomes kind of a feeder program type for the NFL. Um, but I, I am sort of intrigued because I think it's going to last and be a better product than what the AAF was that I had zero interest in. Yeah, I mean, it's. I think the the only issue is that we've seen these leagues continually pop up and brand themselves as, oh, you miss football? Well, starting in February, here's mm-hmm. your alternative. And 
um, so often they've not just attracted the viewership. And part of that is, is talent level. Part of that is you know, it's not as ingrained, obviously. I think I think it'll get some looks, and I think they're at least doing it in a way that's um, slightly interesting. That they're taking, you know, especially like the the betting aspect of it now, with that being uh, more like broadly legalized and even more broadly discussed. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, betting sort of links with like the analytics crowd, and if you can get those guys on your side, then that's a good swing for you. So. Yeah, I, I I don't really have any interest in it because football, frankly, like not really my favorite sport. I might watch a game, but I'm also not really the demographic they're looking at. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's interesting to me, but I'm not like I'm not like I know very little even about the XFL. You're not strapped in. Yeah, same <laughs> not, here. Not strapped you're... in like oh wow, I need to watch this. Like I, I'm sure there's people out there that are excited for it. Hats off to them. I, mm-hmm. This is great for them, but um, not really for me. Just being frank. Yeah, and I think it's, like you said, I think the biggest thing compared to those other football leagues is that they have the the money pockets of Vince McMahon, and they have the TV deals where they'll be on ESPN, they're going to be on ABC, NBC, uh, where all these other leagues, you know, it's, it's you got to find some bootleg like your, stream. And, your local sports network. Yeah. You know, like, it's like, okay. For them to be on actual cable TV and being backed for at least the next three years which is what the contracts uh on tv are for for these for the for the xfl is i think a, a pretty big step in the right direction you've got andrew luck's dad as the uh the commissioner of the league kind of running the show former nfl quarterback um you know there's new rule changes you can have two forward passes in the xfl um i think just the speed factor is going to draw in the crowd that is big in the gambling world um because there's so many opportunities to uh to score in this league so it's going to be interesting xfl kicks off shout out to a uh, friend of the show tyler Brausch. he uh runs the uh the social entire production for the xfl so wishing our best to him uh but matt we are officially two years in the books of this whole operation done a lot in the last two years uh year two was a wild ride for us uh we got to travel the country and cover a brand new lacrosse league. We uh, made friends with Mike Scott. He wished you a happy birthday in a Philadelphia Soul jersey. It did happen. Um, Bryce Harper came to town. The Eagles won another division. Um, you know, just a, a lot of wild stuff happened in year two, and it wouldn't have been possible without the people that listen to this show. You know, we brought in some new people, um, partnered with Design Tree which was a huge thing for us, and they do a fantastic job with our merch. And uh, this thing's only going to keep going. So it's our Allen Iverson year, and uh, our Bryce Harper year. Year three is going to be wild, guys. So uh, thank you all for supporting this thing, all because we wanted to sit in front of a camera and and talk about Philly sports. And we've been able to do it now for for two straight years, and we're going to keep pushing and making this thing uh, the best damn Philly sports coverage you can get. Um, we launched a new podcast that's coming soon. Streamer season. If you're not following it on Twitter, you should. It's at streamer S Z N. Pretty much the premise. It's book club meets streaming services. So it's everybody here on the network that wants to sit down and watch something, whether it's on Netflix, Hulu, uh, Amazon Prime, HBO, whatever it may be. We're just gonna chill. It gives us an opportunity to kind of you know sit back and and relax from the sports world and and just hang out with each other which we don't typically get to do too much just because of what we do uh you know running this whole operation and 
just with our day jobs and everything. So it'll be a fun opportunity for us to hang out and just, you know, shoot the uh, the old SHIT and uh, have some fun and, and, and watch some entertaining uh, programming that is available. So make sure you follow that on Twitter. We'll announce when the, the pod feed comes out. And uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. So stay tuned for that. And obviously follow us on Twitter, guys, at UndergroundPHI. You can follow Matt on Twitter at Matt Castorina. You can follow me at KBIZZL311. And make sure you are following us on Instagram as well, same handle, at UndergroundPHI. And subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave those five-star ratings and reviews. Let us know what you want to see from us in year three content-wise. We've got a lot planned, uh, but we want to hear from you as well. We will announce... The Hall of Fame inductees, the entire class, on Wednesday's show. And uh, if you don't have an iPhone to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, you can check us out on Spotify, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, the TuneIn app, Radio.com, iHeartRadio, wherever you get your podcasts, we are there. And uh, we'll be back on Wednesday, hopefully talking about some more Sixers wins going into the All-Star break. And uh, whatever else may come up Phillies-wise, we'll have some reports probably from the media that is down in Clearwater and uh, whatever else comes up with the Fly Guys. So, as always, show brought to you by our friends at Main Auto LLC, Ducharms Pro Foot, Security 21, Wainwright Bernhardt Funeral Home, Paul J. Gillespie Incorporated, Bob Novick Auto Mall. It's tax season, guys. Go see our friend Mark Ronchetti and uh, get your taxes done with him. He's the best in the game if you are in the South Jersey area. And the Dental Wellness Center of Vineland and, of course, our friends at Design Tree. This has been Underground Sports Philadelphia, episode number 209. For Matt, I'm Kyle. We are signing off. Peace.